The Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals presents the timeless teaching of Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse. We come today to the continuation of our study in the sixth chapter of Romans. We're considering the great truth that is set forth under the phrase, baptized into Jesus Christ. I am not considering water baptism, but the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that work of God which takes every believer at the time of his salvation and places him in Christ, so that God looks at him from the pre-incarnate work of Christ where we were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, all the way through to our eternal redemption with him. Over a half a century ago, the late Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse, then pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, saw the need to spread God's word beyond the hearing of his local congregation. He started the radio outreach which has become known as Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible. The application of God's word as taught by Dr. Barnhouse is as relevant today as when he first taught over the radio airwaves decades ago. The message we will be featuring on today's edition of Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible is entitled Conflict and Triumph. If an army can surround its enemy with superior force and infiltrate the enemy with spies and traitors, you would expect them to win easily. As Christians, we face daunting spiritual enemies, both within and without. We are infiltrated by sin and struggle against its deadly effects. We are also surrounded by evil spiritual entities far more powerful and intelligent than we are. How can we hope to gain victory against such overwhelming odds? The scripture text for this edition of Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible, Romans chapter 6 and verse 3. Here again is Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse with a message entitled, Conflict and Triumph. Through the Lord Jesus Christ we come unto thee, our Father and our God, and in the Holy Spirit. We thank thee for thyself and the daily reminders that there are none alike unto thee. Thou alone art God, and thou hast made thyself our God through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ upon the cross. Speak to our hearts in this hour, and by the work of thy Holy Spirit edify us in thy truth, that we may know thee better and love thee more. We ask it in the name and for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We have seen that there is one true baptism, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and that in this work of God for us, we are identified into every phase of the eternal being and work of our Savior for us. We were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, identified into his virgin birth, his circumcision, his increase, and into his own baptism, his public manifestation as the Son of God. Now, after we are publicly manifested as the sons of God, we become the immediate target of Satan's onslaughts. Thus it was with our Lord, thus it will be with us. As John tells us, as he is, so are we in this world. 
Immediately following the baptism of our Lord, there came the temptation of the devil. I usually try to warn young converts that they are to expect attacks of the devil before they have gone ten minutes from the place of their acknowledgement and confession of Christ. There is one great difference between the temptation of our Lord and that which comes to us. Christ was able to say, The prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. But we, who have the fifth column of the Adamic nature within us, lusting after sin and lusting against the Spirit, we are forced to say, The prince of this world cometh and hath plenty in me. Satan's thrust came against our Lord, because Satan is the enemy and hates the Son of God, in whom the Father is well pleased. It is perhaps well for a moment to point out that Jesus Christ was tempted by the devil, and that the devil really exists. Some might wonder if it were necessary to stress this fact, but I believe that it is, in the light of the fact that there are religious leaders who are attempting to teach our youth in the churches that there is no personal devil. In the Sunday school literature of one of our foremost denominations, literature which has been described as the most pretentious effort ever made in the field of religious education, I find the following story of the temptation of Jesus. I'm quoting directly from Sunday school literature. Jesus had gone away to be alone as God wanted him to do. He went into the loneliest part of the desert where there were only the wild animals to keep him company. And I interject, did they? Is that so? And then the story continues, I am the Messiah, he thought. There is no doubt that I am the Messiah. I must save my people. How should I begin? And I interject as though he had not known, even before the foundation of the world, that he was the Messiah and how every step of his work would be planned. But I continue reading. There was nothing to eat in the wilderness, and Jesus grew hungry. He looked around him and saw that the stones were shaped like loaves of bread. Now I add, the Bible doesn't say anything about this. It's an entirely gratuitous remark by the writer. And does he suggest that Christ was beginning to be dazed by the heat and that the stones began to look like bread? But I continue reading. There seemed to be a voice inside him which was not his own. Now I repeat that again. I am reading from the Sunday school literature of a great church. There seemed to be a voice inside him which was not his own. Now, to my mind, that is positively blasphemous. For Jesus Christ did not have a voice within him that was a voice of the flesh to call him downwards. He was Jehovah God. For the voice did not come from within, it came from outside him. But I continue reading. The voice said, If you are really the Messiah, you ought not to be hungry. If you really are the Messiah, you just have to say the word and these stones would be turned into bread. Then you would have plenty to eat for yourself. And besides, you could go and give bread to all the hungry folk out there who are waiting for you to help them. It was very quiet in the wilderness. The voice spoke up again. But maybe you're afraid to try. Suppose you said to the stones, stones become bread, and then nothing happened. That would prove that you weren't the Messiah, wouldn't it? Jesus shook his head to get rid of the thought. Now, that's the end of the quotation. I will not read any farther than that blasphemous statement. Jesus shook his head to get rid of the thought. And though there's much more in the same vein with such phrases as the tempting voice inside tried again, to me, such ideas are blasphemous. Jesus Christ was and is God. He did not have the fallen Adamic nature. His human nature, God tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, 47, though it was a perfect human nature, was not at all our human nature. 
We have our nature from Adam, the first man who was of the earth earthy. Jesus Christ was the Lord from heaven. Adam was nothing more nor less than a living soul. Jesus Christ was and is a life-giving spirit. He had no voice of evil within him. He had no doubts. He had no fears. He did not proceed by trial and error. And thus we can comprehend the great difference between the temptation from Satan when it was directed against Christ and when it is directed against us. The thrust against us comes because we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Stand apart from Christ and Satan will not attack you. Move near to the Lord and you will find that the battle grows fiercer and hotter as you approach him and as you become more like him. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. It is when you are manifest as the elect of God, joined to the Son, that the fiery darts of the wicked one are launched against you. Satan wastes no ammunition on those who are dead in trespasses and sin. When the Father acknowledged you as one of the sons chosen in eternity for eternity, then Satan looks at you, judges your weakness as best he can see it, and puts on one or another of his masks and comes to you either as an angel of light, as the devil is described in 2 Corinthians 11, or as a roaring lion, as he is described in 1 Peter 5, seeking whom he may devour. It may be that you will so live that Satan will judge you contemptible and unworthy of his personal efforts. One little demon may be assigned to your downfall, if that is the measure of your spiritual resistance. And in some cases he will feel that he can husband his finite resources and leave you merely to your own Adamic nature, which you permit to reign in carnal triumph. No Christian need take the low position in the spiritual life. The whole purpose of this section of Romans is to show us our complete union with Christ so that we can comprehend that we are joined to him, are one with him, are identified in him, and that, therefore, we can enter into all of the triumphs and victories which are his. There are two ways of treating this section of our subject, in many hours or in five minutes. And it's the paragraph method that must of necessity be ours here, as it is with every phase of this vast subject of our identification in Christ, since we are moving from eternity to eternity in a few studies. All we can do here is sketch the outline and you must fill in the color. We pass on to the next point then with the pregnant remark that as we are baptized into our Lord's conflict with the enemy, so are we baptized into his triumph over the enemy. We would treat this at greater length here were it not for the fact that it will have much fuller treatment when we come to our identification into the glory of his resurrection. Immediately after his victory over Satan, our Lord plunged into his active ministry and the baptism of the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ identifies us with the ministry of Jesus Christ. In fact, one of the main purposes of the Lord in forming the body of Christ, and we may probably say his main purpose for this present age, is that we might represent him here, that we might be love to the loveless, joy to the sorrowing, comforters to the weak, life to the chosen, and death unto the judged. This is what Christ meant when he said in John 14, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, 
and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Now there may be some who will question that prophecy of Christ and will ask if we are doing greater works than the Lord Jesus did when he was here on earth. I answer at once that we are. I'm not talking about any little works relatively unimportant, such as walking on the sea, giving sight to a blind man, or raising a dead man to life. Such works were necessary to authenticate the person of the Messiah, or those who spoke for him when the word of God had not yet been completed. But now that the Bible is fully written, it is the final authentication of all who are truly the Lord's. The greater works which we do are in the spiritual realm. A submarine of our Navy was off the coast of Japan when one of the seamen became violently ill with an inflamed appendix. There was no doctor on board. To have come to the surface to send a radio signal would have been to court destruction for the vessel. One of the sailors who held the rank of pharmacist's mate, second class, had seen several operations and offered to try to do what he had seen the doctors do. And finally, in the emergency, the sick man gave his consent. He was to be operated upon by a man who had never performed an operation. Ether was taken from the warhead of a torpedo. Cat gut was taken from a violin string for a suture. A table was quickly rigged up and the operation carried out. The inexperienced sailor opened the abdominal wall of the sick man, removed his appendix, placed the sutures, and in some weeks, when the submarine pulled into Pearl Harbor, the convalescent was able to walk off the ship with little aid. How different would have been the same operation performed by a competent surgeon in an operating theater. There would have been the anesthetist and an assistant and a nurse or two. There would have been someone to wipe the perspiration from the surgeon's brow and to hand him each instrument as needed. There would have been someone to take the patient's pulse and respiration and to gauge the flow of anesthesia according to the needs of the moment. But I insist that the operation as performed by the sailor was a far greater one because of his inexperience and because of the surroundings. And thus it is with the difference between the spiritual work of Christ and a similar work when performed by me or by some other believer in Christ. When the Lord Jesus reached down into the empire of Satan and snatched a soul from the enemy, it might be said that there could be nothing to stop him, nor could there be, for he is God and there is no power but in him. But when I with my lack of spiritual asepsis and my general human weakness, when I can be used of God to take a soul out of darkness into light, it is greater than when the Lord did it directly. The glory is all his, of course, and none belongs to me. But it is a demonstration before all the universe that all power is in God and that anyone in total dependence upon God can have the power of God working through him. The Lord left us here that in his name we might give meat to the hungry and drink to the thirsty, that we might exercise hospitality to the stranger, that we might clothe the naked, minister to the sick, and visit the prisoner. Out of the baptism of the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ has come every movement that has articulated that body to build hospitals, orphan homes, asylums for the blind, the crippled, and the insane. Out of the baptism of the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ has come every movement of service that has freed slaves, ameliorated the lot of the prisoner, and all the rest that has been called social service. The tears of Wilberforce, of Shaftesbury, and of Booth were the tears of the Lord Jesus Christ running down the cheeks of his redeemed. 
Everything a modern socialist government can ever think of for the benefit of a human being has been stolen straight out of Christianity and is the attempt of Satan to duplicate the good works of believers which glorify the Father in heaven. Madame Chiang Kai-shek pointed out that Confucianism venerated ancestors but had never built a home for the aged. It takes Christ to reach into the need of dying humanity. And he stretches out from heaven today for surrendered hearts through which he can manifest his love unto the world. That is why you are in the body of Christ, that the head might articulate you to minister as he ministered. When you comprehend the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you will come to realize that it is a baptism of love. As you yield to him, you will be motivated by his love. This is the love that is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. He who was moved with compassion will, by his Holy Spirit, move us with compassion. Of all the stories that were ever told about the Lord Jesus Christ while he was here on earth, there is one that most moves me to love and worship him. It is one of the several stories concerning the cleansing of the lepers. In some instances, the Lord spoke the healing word and the lepers were cleansed. But mine is the story of the leper in the first chapter of Mark. There came a leper to him, beseeching him, and kneeling down to him and saying unto him, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. I see in this man's life something more than leprosy. I see the stark loneliness that had caused him more pain than his bodily ill. Oh, how a leper must have been torn to shreds in all his emotions as his wife and his children came outside the city to him, carrying food each day, standing a few feet away, not daring to approach. He could not put his hands on his children's heads. There were loved lips that could not be kissed, loved hands that might not be touched. The Lord could have cleansed him with a word, but he knew the heart and was going to meet its need as well. And we read, Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand and touched him. Oh, how long had it been since the leper had felt a human hand. Here was an emptiness that had to be filled. The Lord filled it. And if we enter into the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we shall be moved with compassion as we go about in the prolongation of his ministry, which he has left to us. To accomplish. I think we underestimate the number of lonely hearts there are in every neighborhood. You have been blessed with robust vigor. Then turn your strength toward the feeble and the weak. You who have any place of leadership, turn your smile on the little underlings who will never have a place of leadership. I said this in New York one evening several years ago, and a few weeks later was reminded of it by a young woman who was private secretary to the president of a large commercial firm. She was a young woman of rather brilliant personality and had risen to her privileged and highly paid place by her rare gifts. She told me that the day after she had heard me tell of the need of ministering to the weak and the lowly, that she had walked through the outer offices where there was a drab typist who by the very sallowness of her personality was born to a certain loneliness and she invited the girl to go out to lunch with her. The two girls went together, and the drab girl thanked the brilliant one a score of times for her kindness. And during the next few weeks, the private secretary always greeted her, smiled at her, and occasionally lunched with her. The brilliant one said to me, it's a trifle embarrassing, 
She looks at me with a look in her eyes like that of a dog for his master, and some of the other girls can't understand my interest in her. But after a few weeks, the drab girl came to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, and the other one said to me, I don't think I have ever been happier than when she prayed with me and thanked the Lord Jesus for bringing me into her life and for the salvation of her soul. And now, she continued, I try to smile at all the file clerks and the lesser assistants and say a cheery word to the porters and the elevator operators. For someday I shall be able to follow up my gestures for Christ. In closing his gospel, John writes, And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Well, we, the believers, baptized into his body, are the library of his doings that the world cannot contain. At present, we are in a poor edition, utility binding, but the great bookbinder has promised to bring out a new edition on indestructible paper, clear type, no errata, offset from the Son of God and bound in his likeness forever. Oh, what a library are the saints of God. Each and every one of us is the record of some of the grace of the Savior. This is why there is joy in heaven in the presence of the angels when another chapter is written. It would take a knowledge of the full experience of the grace of God in the lives of all Christians from the beginning of time to the end for us to comprehend the beginning, even the beginning of all the grace of Christ. The Holy Spirit who baptized us into the body of Christ and into the fellowship of the saints baptized similarly Bernard of Clairvaux who wrote, Jesus, the very thought of thee with sweetness fills my breast. And Count Zinzendorf who wrote, Let not conscience make you linger, nor of fitness fondly dream. All the fitness he requires is to feel your need of him. How many unknown warriors there are whose names and deeds are not to be found in the pages of history, but who are known to God. How many cups of cold water have been given in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. How many doctors, nurses, teachers have chosen their professions, not because they felt they would gain great money, for they knew in advance that they would not, but because they felt impelled to give of themselves in service to a world in need. How many brave young men and women have left home and friends and kindred to go out to the utmost parts of the earth to burn out in the midst of heathen darkness as a lamp for the Lord Jesus Christ. When I think of the baptism of the Holy Spirit into the body of believers and into the fellowship of his ministry in this age, I think of the long roll of the church fathers, the martyrs, the saints of all the ages. I see the marching hosts, a few with names, but with the major ranks nameless. And when I think of this, our own generation, I think of a deaf and dumb believer I saw in Mayango in Nigeria. I think of a dwarf and a blind man who took care of each other at Changsha in China. I think of the little children at Donavur, swarming over the beautiful fields like multicolored butterflies. I have sat at the Lord's table taking communion with various groups out over the world, at times I've taken it with coffee, where there were no grapes, and with coconut milk colored pink with berry juice out in the Cameroons, which the elders poured out into the tablespoons that each brought to the communion table. And believe me, the Lord Jesus Christ was in the midst, in his body. If all the things which he did could not be put into the books of a world, since a volume could be written about any one of his glances, 
and another volume on its impression on each individual who saw it, let us not expect to do more than point to his graces, more numberless than the stars, and say simply, the Holy Spirit baptized me into that body. His is the ministry that is given to all his redeemed. So let us, in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, go out to live and love and work. It is into that ministry that we have been identified. And we ask thee, our God and Father, that the Holy Spirit may take the word to each heart. If there should be any who have not been born again, give them restlessness, that they may know no peace until they rest in Christ. But upon all thy redeemed own, may thy grace, thy mercy, and thy peace abide, and a new baptism of thy love as we meet this loveless world. And unto thee be the glory and the majesty, the dominion and the power, now, until the Lord Jesus come again, and forever. Amen. We will be destroyed if we try to fight against our spiritual enemies in our own strength. But if we cast ourselves completely on Jesus Christ, His mighty power will ensure our ultimate victory. We hope you have benefited from today's message by Dr. Barnhouse entitled, Conflict and Triumph. You can listen to additional Bible teaching by the late Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse anytime, anywhere, around the globe, via the Internet, by visiting the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals website at AllianceNet.org. An audio copy of today's teaching is available by calling us toll-free, 1-800-488-1888. Today's message again is entitled, Conflict and Triumph, or simply ask for message number R6-9. We would also like to make available to you a free copy of our booklet entitled God's Mercy, Our Salvation. The Bible declares that we are saved by grace through faith. And yet, deep down, many believers still feel that somehow our works, self-effort, or good moral character must contribute something to our salvation. This free booklet sets forth the glorious biblical truth that our salvation is completely rooted in God and based on His boundless mercy and free grace. Don't exchange the liberating power of the gospel for a cheap imitation. Ask for your free copy of God's Mercy, Our Salvation when you call or write. Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible is the radio ministry of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals headquartered in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. We exist to promote a biblical understanding and worldview. Drawing upon the insight and wisdom of Reformation theologians from decades and even centuries gone by, we seek to provide contemporary Christian teaching materials which will equip believers to understand and meet the challenges and opportunities of our time and place. Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible comes to you through the generous gifts of our listeners. If you have benefited from this broadcast and would like it to continue, please prayerfully consider a donation to help us keep this ministry on the air. For more information or to make a contribution to support and further our work, please contact us by writing Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, Box 2000, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, 19103, or call toll-free 1-800-488-1888, or visit us online at www.alliancenet.org. Be sure to ask for a free updated resource catalog featuring books, audio teachings, commentaries, booklets, daily devotionals, videos, and a wealth of other materials from outstanding Reformed teachers and theologians, including Donald Gray Barnhouse, James Montgomery Boyce, Michael Horton, and Martin Lloyd-Jones. Then join us again next time for more classic teaching on Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible.